Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Robbie, and this is the 80s Rewind Show podcast. In today's episode, I speak to a singer from an all-female band who had hits with Pink Sunshine and International Rescue. Cue the music. Here we go. Hey, I'm Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. Hey, everybody, this is Ivan from Men Without Hats. Hello, everybody, this is Francis Dunry from It Bites. Hi, everyone, this is Andy from Modern Romance. Hi, everyone, this is Charlene. Hi, this is Dennis Seaton from Music E. Hi, I'm Nick Haywood. Hi, this is Kevin from Fiction Factory. And you're listening to the 80s Rewind Show podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. It's time, it's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. And now, and now welcome, welcome your, your host, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, my 80s Rewinders. How are you? I hope you're extremely well. I've got a fantastic episode lined up for you today. Before I start today's show, I've got to say a massive thank you to Johnny Has. Uh, I think it's pronounced Has. H-A-A-S, that's his last name. Anyway, Johnny reached out to me on Facebook and said he really, really enjoyed the Jack Hughes from Wayne Chung interview. So just like Johnny, you can reach me through Facebook. If not, we have the Gmail address in the show's description just below the episode. So thanks, Johnny. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody that shared the show and listened to the show so far. Thank you so much. You really make the show worth doing. And if you could spread the love and tell someone about the show, that would be awesome. And just like Johnny, if you want to catch the episode of me talking to Jack Hughes and Wang Chung, you can find the episode on any podcast hosting service. If not, just click the link of the name of the show and scroll down from there. Today's episode, I've got the wonderful Vicky Perks, or Vix, from I've Got a Fuzzbox and I'm Gonna Use It. Vicky was absolutely lovely. We had such a great chat and she's very, very sweet. We spoke about her early days forming the band, recording their second album, Big Bang, and why there should be more girl bands today. I totally agree. Anyway, let's do it. If we can go back to when you was a kid, was your house for music? Were your parents into music? Yeah, we're really big music lovers in um, in our family. So it was a bit like the Waltons at Christmas. We'd have all the aunties and uncles and cousins and we'd all get together at someone's house. And with, with the, the kids, like the younger generation, we'd all go off and like make up a, a play and songs and stuff and dance routines and come back and we'd have a big sing along. And uh, my uncle would have his like banjo or guitar, we'd have ukuleles and sing it all in beautiful harmony and pianos. And it was, honestly, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. So definitely big music lovers. Um, I think there's grandmas that played, you know, church organs and that sort of thing as well. Always listen to music in the car, always music on in the house. Yeah. That's fantastic. So did, would you make little plays and perform it for the family? Was it that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, all the time, yeah. Yeah, if we got together, we'd make a, make, make a play, which had singing and dancing in as well. And yeah, <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I love the idea of that. You really don't get that sort of stuff anymore going on, do you? Like people at home playing with each other. And... I, I really wish, that, you know, my kids sort of still had that, but unfortunately the family's more widespread now. So we don't really, really get that, but we do it as much as we can amongst ourselves. That's amazing. Um, when you first started getting into music, what sort of albums and songs do you remember that really sort of turned your head that made you go, what is this? I need to own this and find out what it is. Well, I actually bought, I think my first 
record I bought was Sugar Baby Love by the Rubettes. And I know some of my, I also bought that one, blooming heck, what's it? That um, Mud, 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 Glorious Mud. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that was before then. Otherwise, you know, my musical taste sounds a little suspect. And then one of the, maybe like perhaps the third record I ever got was Jamming, Jamming Until the Big by um, Stevie Wonder. Wow. So I, I, it was so eclectic, really. I mean, my parents were listening to, uh, a lot of, I mean, I still love a lot of like rock and roll and, you know, 50s and 60s kind of music, but we listen to jazz. We have a lot of kind of rock, your folk, all things like, um, you know, Led Zepp, Thin Lizzy, a lot of Motown, soul. So I, I always loved it and I always carried it on. There was never a time when I thought, Oh God, that's rubbish. You know, that's old people's music. I mean, I used to think I must have been born in the wrong era, you know, musically at least. But I think for my teenage sort of years, some of the most, uh, the things or kind of adolescent, I, I kind of got into Kate Bush a lot and, um, Blondie. Those would have been probably my two main things when, when I was really starting to choose my own style of music, I would say. When did singing start to really come into your life? I, I just know that I always sang, always, always sang, you know, and in the car I would sing along to the music a lot as well. And then at school, I was always, you know, if there was anything going going singing-wise and sang in the church choir. It was really nice, actually, though, because um, I lived in a place called Mosley in Birmingham, which is very sort of bohemian. And there was this lovely, um, I think he was like a curate, and he was a real hippie beardy kind of type playing the guitar. And we'd do all sort of kind of a bit kumbaya style <laughs> stuff in a way, you know, a bit, a bit more on that side of of kind of, choral or religious music so I used to absolutely love just joining in for those reasons really I always liked musicals I was a whore in the beggar's opera <laughs> well <laughs> I don't say don't see don't say I was typecast or anything that would be mean <laughs> um, yeah and then of course bus bots from 15 wow so were you Interested in songwriting, like you said, you like Kate Bush and Blondie, sort of female leaded bands. Were you into songwriting at the time? Was was songs a thing, or do did you want to actually be in a band, or did you just like singing? I definitely wanted to be like in entertainment. Like um, I'd have liked to, I think, been sort of in perhaps musicals if I'd have gone a different route. At that because I, I started to uh, think about going to sort of theatre school and so on, but then of course Buzzbox sort of came up, and I went went down that route. Um, so I hadn't really thought about being in a band until, until we were in one and <laughs> we, we kind of pretended that we had a band and we didn't, um, but a friend of ours needed a support band. And so we pretended we had one and, uh, <laughs> made one the afternoon before the gig, like you do. That's amazing. That's amazing. So let's talk about getting the band together. Was it just pretty much like, do you play guitar? Do you play drums? How did you form originally? Um, we were always going to a lot of gigs. So we used to go to, um, like, there were bands like Gene Loves Jezebel, Three Johns, The Cardiacs, a lot of those kind of bands around at the time. Um, Sisters of Mercy, The Slits. So we were, even though I suppose we were probably only about 14, you know, we were, we were all going around seeing, you know, seeing a lot of gigs, getting the coach to different towns and watching bands. Um, and we were out clubbing. <laughs> Would have been actually. I don't, know, I don't know what the age <laughs> limit was. Um, and some friends of ours were doing a gig, and we said, "Oh, who's, who's your support band?" And he said, oh, "We haven't got one yet. If you know of anybody." Um, and actually, it was Maggie that 
volunteered and said, oh, yeah, you know, we'll do it. And she came over. I'm there dancing on the wrecking on the <laughs> dance floor. I said, do you want a bit? Yeah, do you want to sing in the band? Yeah, you're right. Um, and that was that. We just took it absolutely in our stride. And as I say, Sunday before, like the afternoon before the gig, just got together for a couple of hours. <laughs> Maggie was uh, like five years older than us because Maggie and Joe were sisters. Um, and her boyfriend was in a very experimental band called Family Patrol Group. And they used lots of weird pedals and, you know, like a metal coil that you'd clang and put things, you know, an old violin you put through effects pedals. And we lo- just loved it. It was like kids in a sweet shop or toy shop. We're like, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> so we all just banged around and plonked around on things. Um, I like was kind of, I suppose, the obvious choice for doing most of the singing because I'd always done lots of singing, and you know. And been in singing competitions or choirs and all that sort of thing. Joe could play a, a few chords on the guitar, so she was like an obvious choice for that. But we, but even on the first time, like, well, I haven't got to play the, the drums yet. You know, it was sort of <laughs> there was no concept of who will be the drama or whatever. It was just like you know, it's not fair. You aren't you ever go on the bass? So we used to swap round instruments, which, I mean, for a sound guy, it was an absolute nightmare because someone would play it really hard with a pick or something. The next one would play it really gently with, you know, fingers and, oh, my God, poor people. But um, we did the first gig anyway. Um, We did two covers. One was Fever, um, which, I mean, there's the Peggy Lee version, but I was mad on the Elvis version. And and I added lots of like, it's kind of to it. Um, and then we did um, Spirit in the Sky and Maggie sort of took the lead on that and did more spoken style, which was really cool. And I played all the violin through effects pedals and did backing. Um, and then I had, I don't know when I could have written it, but I had written this like, I'd say it's more of a poem because you're saying about songwriting. I don't know if I wrote it as a song or a poem, but I just remember having this thing called song, Console Me. And it was quite miserable. It's about I sit in a box and it's a dark room, black room, spinning <laughs> around and around. They're really gothic. And it's such a chirpy thing as well. I don't know where all that misery came from. <laughs> but um, and we all have our moments. Um, and so I sort of made, made that into a song. Um, oh, honestly, though, Robbie, us being in a band, when I think back about it, we didn't know as well that you had to tune instruments. Well, no, we, that's not true, quite true, actually. We know you had to tune them, but we didn't realise that they would slip out of tune naturally. <laughs> we knew you had to press your, the finger, you know, on a certain place and tune the next string down. But then as the sort of gigs went on, we d- just kept doing that. You just take the, you know, the one string and then just keep tuning. And I was thinking, some of the, oh, oh. <laughs> songs are getting ever so low. I'm sure that it was, you know, <laughs> completely different key before. Um, and of course, I don't know who will have enlightened us and found out that you actually, they all have specific notes. Uh, yeah. And, Steep learning curve. And was it that firstly, like the Blues Brothers, where you just said the three songs and you kept repeating yeah. them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, we got three songs and then we, people went absolutely mad. I think it's because the scene at the time was very, um, everyone was wearing grey or black and it was all shoegazer sort of stuff, all male and quite serious. Yeah. And we were like dressed in all these clothes from the rag market and bits of net and our, you know, our grand sort of crazy clothes or whatever. Um, colourful hair and makeup and just laughing. And if we made a mistake, we'd just be going, oh, God, Tina, what are you doing there? You know, we'd sort of pick on <laughs> each other. And <laughs> That's fantastic. There was no shame. Um, and and so I think we were just very, very 
you know, very different. So then they all cheered madly, like, you know, play another song. Like, I haven't got any more songs. We just played another song, like one of them again. Was it a worry? I, I don't mean to sound funny, but being an all-female all band, was you worried about being taken seriously at the time or was you just like, this is a joke, we don't really care if it works or not? At that point, hell no, didn't didn't care less. Because we weren't, we didn't really think we were a band. We had no plans to do anything else. It was just a, a bit of a laugh. I mean, I think the idea had kind of come from when <laughs> at the school, three of us went to the same school um, and it was a, a, a girls' grammar school. So it was a, a bit, you know, uh, we mainly had to do kind of classical music and so on. And then we did an end of term, well, end of year concert. And I pulled a bit of a fast one by saying we'd use all kind of um, tissue box and you know, put a rubber band over them and bang tins and make shakers and now i mean at first they thought it was absolutely abhorrent <laughs> I, I i kind of said yes but you know this is what not everybody can afford you know to buy expensive equipment and this is our way of showing how inclusive and they, i think they just had to sort of roll with it but then we turned up on on the day and we uh, i called us the flying collars because we all wore massive big wing collars, like from the 70s, big flares and basically roll of vests. And we looked hideous. And um, <laughs> and this is like everyone's playing all these beautiful violin concertos and singing, like, I can't the log. And then there's us. And we did we did fever for that. And that was all just banging loads of things, you know, and, and twinkle, twinkle, little star, but a punk version. <laughs> And honestly, I wish I could. I had a video or recording of that. And and the the school was going absolutely nuts about it. It's hilarious. So we'd sort of had a go. That was a bit of a maybe a, a trial, but um, hadn't really got any any plans particularly to sort of carry it on. And then we got offered a second gig, and there you go. It's amazing. So it sounds like a seventies skiffle band <laughs> yeah a bit of skiffle that's great so you were pretty much sort of we've done that that'll do and then you got off another gig and is this where the band then really started to form and get together and say actually maybe we should look into this well yeah because rob lloyd from the nightingales the band the nightingales he owned a local record label called vindaloo and he was actually looking for female members of his band and he'd heard that there was this female band right Obviously, someone had missed out the bit about can't play their blinking instruments because they were a good band. Uh, he came <laughs> to see us. And I think he must have thought, oh, my God, I can't have any of them in my band. But they're really, like, interesting as they were. So he signed us up to his label. And, I mean, when I look back, I really wish there had, a, had been a way. We could have sort of stayed on Vindaloo, you know, and Vindaloo could have been funded and we could have carried on that way. I mean... I don't know, I was 15 when I started and stuff and 16 when it started to sort of kick off more. So I, had, I hadn't really got a, a kind of a, a clue on that front, but that would have been really, really great if we could have carried them with us, you know, throughout. And so once you did the second one, did you then just start gigging around like Birmingham and places and you started to take it seriously and go for it? Yeah, um, Rob Lloyd's... Um, girlfriend was Patsy Winkleman and she was she was a teacher but she sort of started helping out and and then became our manager and she was fantastic she was this little kind of feisty feminist who just wouldn't let anything happen to us she really protected us you know um and so so yeah we just suddenly started getting more and more offers oh we got John Peel show fantastic. and Janice Long and then we were touring the UK then we were touring 
Europe and then America and, you know, Far East. And yeah, so it sort of just didn't stop. Did you have your first single at this point when you started to do the tour in Free Vindaloo or were you? Yeah, yeah. So they decided to print up a thousand copies and we wanted it to be like crazy colours. So they were always dipped like different colours. We did a thousand and they sold out and did, they printed up another thousand, sold out. And it was kind of like that. I think, um, you know, if if we would have known, obviously, and, and they would have all sold in one go, we'd have probably, you know, Sort of, I think we got to like 41 or something with the first single rules and regulations. Um, but it was in the indie chart, top of the indie charts for like something like 26 weeks or something, which meant something then. I don't know if it does anymore. I mean, well, yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you had to sell a lot more then to even get that far. <laughs> yeah. I suppose we didn't really gather much momentum because we we're having to wait for a thousand, you know, vinyl presents each time. And then you did Rocking with Rita after that. Is that right? You did Head to Toe. And that was, was that a part of a super group kind of idea, was it? Yes, yeah, so it was the artists who were on um, Vindaloo Records. So there's the Nightingales, Ted Chippington, who, I mean, I would say he's got to be either the or one of the first alternative comedians. And a lot of people, you know, who went on to become quite famous alternative comedians, you know, were fans of his. And I'm not quite sure how, you know, he didn't end up being really, you know, up there. But so he would be really sort of dry and rocking with Rita. And then we'd all do this head to toe and stuff. So, <laughs> and we did, so we did the Vindaloo Summer Special Tour, which was one of my just favourite times. We'd all dress up in summer gear and um, the three, three acts would all perform. Then we'd perform... Uh, rocking with Rita together at the end. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was really, really fun. And did you did you get to choose your singles? Because Love is the Slug was after that, I presume. And did you get to choose what you wanted to put out? Was, was Vindaloo saying, no, we want this one to be released? I mean, they certainly would have suggested things, but there was didn't feel any pressure to do this, that or the other at all. I think there were sometimes obvious things stuck out as well. Um, and we went into the studio with Martin Rushant, to do Love is a Slug, who was sort of, you know, he did like um, Human League and so on. So we thought that'd be a good fit. Yeah. I, I mean, at this point, you're still quite a punk band, aren't you? You've got the big hair and the, that sort of stuff going on. Was it, was the punk sort of attitude the way you wanted to go forward with the band? Was that the idea to take it to the end of the conclusion as a punk band, ideally? I mean, we never thought of ourselves as a, a punk band as such. I think it was punky pop or pop rock or whatever. Um, I think it's because as well, the scene that we were into in Birmingham was so mixed. I mean, you'd have hardcore punks, rockabillies, psychabillies, goths, hippies, you know, a lot of kind of, um, you know, representation from the old LGBTQ plus whatever uh, groups, you know, a lot of drag queens would hang out. We'd all just hang out together. There was no, no like fighting. There was nothing. We all just, so... I don't know. We we're just very accepting in that way. So whilst I think we kind of dressed in that as punky, maybe gothy, alternative way, I think we thought perhaps of being a bit more alternative than punk. But I know we were often thought of as punk. And our attitude was pretty flipping punk, wasn't it, really? <laughs> just very DIY. And we loved that. It was just like, yeah, should we do it? Yeah, we'll do it. Let's just go and do it. Let, who needs to re- rehearse? We've got a gig tonight. You know, just go and rehearse on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had no cares in the world in those days at all. So, um, you know, we were just rolling with it, really. Even then, you know, like I said, I've always still loved like Elvis and, 
you know, Debbie Reynolds and loads of cheese as well as all the other stuff I've liked. So we had, we were into that scene, that alternative scene, but we all still had our different kind of tastes. Yeah, I was talking to Peter Call from the Lotus Eaters and he was saying he had the same, oh. yeah, he said the same, yeah, it was interesting, he said that he had the same environment when they used to go to Eric's and around, there would be, be such a mix of people that, you know, you'd have drag queens, like you were saying, hanging out with straight people at LBQ, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I think that's some of the most fertile period for music, that sort of, that mix, which unfortunately you don't really get nowadays, you don't really get people hanging out from different sort of lifestyles and mindsets to create wonderful stuff it's a real shame that there's places that people can't go anymore because they're all closed yeah i know we had zigzags and powerhouse and um i mean birmingham obviously is really diverse anyway and always has been so we kind of thought that was the only place that could possibly be like that but it's it's nice to hear that that perhaps not i mean we um we hung out with peter when we did the um what was it let's rock Oh, you did? Yeah, with Hazel Dean and all of that lot. Yeah, it was lovely. He's great. He's a lovely guy. Let's talk about your first album. How did you get to the first album? I mean, it was all still really in very similar vein, although by then, um, WEA, which is kind of part of the Warners group, it doesn't exist anymore as a record company, but um, they were, were sort of talking to Vindaloo and we actually put it out through them, although a lot of people still thought it was just through, through Vindaloo, but it was a, a collaboration at that point. And so even though we were still pretty alternative, the press department, like marketing department of WA was absolutely phenomenal. And um, we were already sort of on all the breakfast TV shows. A lot of them were a bit wary because they're like, they're a load of punks. And <laughs> we were a little <laughs> unruly, but I wouldn't say that we were like, it was, uh, Terry Wogan it was going to have us on and then apparently they saw us and they were like, no, they might smash up the studio. <laughs> I don't know. The most we'll probably do is like, you know, tear up a flyer. Um, but no, we were very good like that. We were, we were kind of loud, rebellious and fun and raucous, but we were never like, you know, destructive or cruel or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, we were on loads of Saturday morning TV stuff and um, lots of kids TV, which we absolutely loved doing. Yeah. Really, really good fun. We just thought it was all so bloody surreal. And where did you get the name from? Is it Boston, Steve Austin? Did I pronounce that right? Boston. Oh, it's Boston. So Boston means brilliant, great, like, hey, in kind of Birmingham and the Black Country area. West Midlands, we use that a lot. I don't know about now. I do. I still use it. And Steve Austin. Who's Steve Austin? Is he a wrestler? Um, He was the bionic man. The six million dollar man. (laughs) <laughs> um so he's on the that was me running in slow-mo very good, good. um <laughs> he, he's actually appears on the front cover of our first album which we was did as like a paint by numbers yeah so boston steve austin was like meant great i mean in 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 america they couldn't call it that because it they just thought what the hell this is crazy i think it was just called fuzzbox but we were only called fuzzbox over there because they thought our full name, we've got a fuzz box and we're going to use it. They thought that was rude and that we were trying to be saucy. I mean, we were innocent, <laughs> innocent schoolgirls, Robbie. <laughs> I mean, now you say that, I get the connotation of why an American would think the fuzz box word is a rude word. I get that now. I've never actually thought of it that way, yeah. Oh, well, there you are. You see, you're innocent like we were. Um <laughs> I mean, a fuzz box, for those who may not know, is a distortion pedal for a, a bass or a guitar and it goes, <clears throat> makes it fuzzy. 
And we use it in every song, partly because it, we like the sound, but also because it covers up all your mistakes more. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And we did a lot of fuzz phase and fuzz flange and, my dear, that sounds dodgy. Um, but yeah, we did get lots of people, like the audience, we often go, show us your fuzz box, you know. <laughs> wow. And you'd be like, oh God, here we go. And you pick it up at, at you know, the pedal and just show it. Like, all right, can we get on with the gig now? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, it's got some wonderful tracks on that first album. I love um, Hollow Girl. That's a real sort Aww. of, it's a real early Nirvana. I've got to be honest. When I heard it, I thought, I think Nirvana's borrowed from you. Yes. Yes. I'm sure that. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, just, yeah, nick my idea. <laughs> But there's, I mean, there's no reason why you wouldn't have heard it if it's on an American label out there. And so when you listen to the bass and the drums, it reminded me of something off of Bleach, which only would have been four years later, maybe. Oh, I love that idea. I might spread that as a rumour. Oh, that's true. Can we start that here? Yes, please do. Go on, that'd be ace, because there's no one who's going to argue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's quite, I mean, you know, for, well, I must have probably been, 17 maybe 16 17 when i sang that it was very heartfelt and yeah that's one of one of my ones it's, it's a wonderful song but honestly anyone listen to the podcast get on spotify find the song and listen to it and tell me it's not early nirvana i, I honestly i think they because he was influenced by a lot of english bands kurt as well wasn't he yeah yeah so it's true. there's not a reason why you might not have heard that single somewhere or and thought oh that sounds quite good and if you make any money you can have half <laughs> <laughs> Of course. <laughs> so once you'd, you'd done the album, um, was there, obviously, once you get to this, the second album, there was a change in style and uh, look as well. During that album, were you discussing the, the change then? Did you think we might have to change to get, not popularity, but to take it further as the next step? I mean, I think we were already changing. We'd learned to play our instruments by then. Mm. So in some ways, we were a little bit weary of the can't sing, can't play kind of tag because we thought well we can now and we we would be quite insecure about about it ourselves and we're going to see other bands say like we were supporting um jesus and mary chain and we're like oh we can play play that well probably can play better than that actually and joe's a better guitarist than that you know and and actually i can sing better so we would go and see other bands we're not that bad we can flipping play and so we were getting a bit bored of that and we were getting more into i suppose technology and production as we were writing, we were, you know, using technology more, which was quite empowering, you know, especially, I suppose, for women. Um, and we'd all, we were already changing, um, I, I suppose. I mean, if you think of like from when you're 15, 16 to when you're even, I don't know, 18, 19, 
the changes you go through can be quite rapid. And we were just finding that we weren't all into the same music anymore or same sort of scene particularly anymore and clothes. And so it was, it was hard actually to decide what we're going to do. Looking back, if we did that again, I think we could do, we could do it very differently, but we'd have conversations with a record company or with um, producers and say things like, well, they said, well, what are you trying to do? You know, and they obviously wanted wanted us to move on and become more commercial because we were like, you know, pretty popular by then. But, um, you know, I, I remember saying that I'd really like soft, you know, quite soft, you know, vocals with lots of harmonies and stuff. I think I was thinking a little bit on that 60s girl group kind of thing. And, and you know, Maggie really liked all that sort of stuff as well. But with like perhaps kind of edgy, dancey drums maybe even a bit industrial or something you know but drums and then with some crunchy guitars but lots of lovely synth you know and everyone's like like, you can't do that what genre is that we're like well it'd sort of be a bit like a new genre but it'd be you know maybe quite pop but with sort of rock dancing no you can't do that and we were told that time and time again that you couldn't do that so it was really frustrating and obviously we could have done that but we didn't we didn't know that you could. Because I think that everything was more, more boxed in. And maybe it's gone that way again. You I mean, you're saying that there isn't, doesn't feel like there's a lot of crossover, particularly in sort of mainstream mm. music. Um, but yeah, so we sort of had to make a choice. So we thought, we decided to go for a pop spoof. And I think this, writing the track um, International Rescue, <clears throat> calling International Rescue, was kind of part of that. We loved Thunderbirds. We loved the, you know, the whole kind of idea that, you know, you get close with a hand and you see the strings and it was awesome. So we we just decided, let's just go for a real, like, kind of Mickey Tate pop spoof and just have some fun. Um, I think that, you know, I think that we thought it would end up a bit more rocky, the second album, than it did, a bit more guitars and stuff, but it just didn't go that way. Um, but... We loved it anyway. It's just a, it's just one of those things where on like the first album you get Joe's guitar work on a live, which is amazing, and uh, and then when you get to the second album, there's not a lot of guitar really, which is a shame. Um, and it kind of got toned yeah. down, and you thought, oh, I'd love to have a bit more of that sort of that edge to it because it really. Was, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she did play on, on a lot of it, but it was it was much more sort of nice kind of you know chords with with effects on and so on. Um, or sampled and put in, but we were having a lot of fun with like using, you know, a fair light and so on. We were having a lot of fun with all the different synth sounds. And I loved being in the studio and just layering and layering harmonies. And I really enjoyed that. I could just sit there for hours, just watching and listening to producers sort of chop things up. And I just occasionally say, Oh, you know, is, is that, could you put that there? And I just loved it. Found it so relaxed. I didn't get bored at all, but I can see that like, Going back, yeah, of course we should have had more crunchy Joe guitar and, and more edge. And so I think the songs are good though. And, you know, when I hadn't listened to them probably for at least a decade, when I, you know, later on in time and I listened back and it's like, oh my God, actually, they're really good. Yeah. Yeah, the production's good and there's some good songwriting in there and, um, yeah, some really nice stuff in there. So you're working on the album Big Bang and you had such fantastic producers and writers such as Leon Sternberg, who wrote Walk Like an Egyptian for the Bangles and also yourself writing as well and also your producer, Andy Richards producing, who, who worked with, you know, Nick Kershaw, who we got here, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. He played on Careless Whisper, you know, Two Tribes. So it seems like the, the record company really wanted this album to work for you and they were giving you the best people to do that as well. I love what an eclectic album it is as well because, I mean, I think Fast Forward Futurama should have been a single. Oh, oh I know. 
what everyone does. Yeah, it should have been. And we actually, we had to put it in writing that we thought the third, so we had International Rescue, Pink Sunshine, and then Self, wasn't it? The third single from Big Bang, the second album. And then we wanted to do Fast fast Forward Futurama, which seems like the the obvious sort of way to go. Really powerful, a bit dark, a bit, you know, new wave, isn't it? And stuff, and it had a bit more fuzz and guitar on it. But um, no, the record company were adamant that it was going to be walking on thin ice. And whilst we loved the the song and thought we'd done quite a, a really interesting version of a Yoko Ono track, I think that the record company were in with Yoko Ono, I think, and just wanted us to put that out and be a bit more serious. And but it was weird, wasn't it? Because it's not even a, a sort of pop structure or anything. No. That song's very strange. So we actually went and in put in writing that we didn't agree with. The decision, and of course, it you know it did all right, and we still did top of the pots with it and stuff. But it went. It, I think that was kind of the beginning of the end, really. I could hear Depeche Mode doing it when I when I yeah. when I heard it for the first time. I thought Depeche Mode could cover this, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be jarring to, for them to do it. If you see, what I mean, I thought it was brilliant. I love the fact the album's quite eclectic because you've got like Fast Forward Future Drama, you've got Jamaican Sunrise, which is quite a slick song. Like, you know, it's quite relaxing and sort of Wait, stuff. Wait a minute. I was thinking kind of Terence Trent Derby for that nice. sort of thing. I liked all the little percussion bits. and It's wonderful. Yes. And then you've got Versatile for Discos and Parties. <laughs> now, Slave to the Rhythm came to me straight away. Oh, nice. And and then I looked at Andy Richards and he'd worked on Slave to the Rhythm. Huh? So yeah. I wonder if there was a sort of, like, he was influenced by his own work and thought, oh, this would be... Easily could be, because I remember he nicked the, the Frankie Goes Hollywood. Down, down, down for Pink Sunshine as well. Oh, right. And yeah, I mean, that was mainly me and Auntie Richard just going nuts in the studio, just getting loads of different sounds and, and little sections of things. The, 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 the versatile from discos and parties came from a saying from my mum, because you'd, you'd sort of say, what do you think of this item of clothing, mum? Well, it's very versatile for discos and parties. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> really sweet. Yeah. That's great. And then you've got um, Irish Bride on there, which is just wonderful song. Lovely. That is a yeah, really wonderful. Yeah. And it's the one on the album that to me, um, I don't have to put this in, it, it doesn't fit because it's so nice. It's sort of like the, <laughs> the break, like if you're watching telly and you've got an advert, it's the advert because it takes you away completely separately from the rest of the album. Was it, did you write that for the album or did you sort of think we need something to break the album up a little bit? Or? I mean, uh, uh, Maggie mostly wrote that one from her experience and her, her family. Um, and I mean, some of these songs were hovering from before, you know, we were even, I could, when we're sort of in between times, we were writing, there was other songs as well. I mean, things like Roses and Marguerite, which which are on, which we didn't make the album, but are on um, kind of compilations and demo versions, which perhaps would would mix, give a bit more perspective there. But it wasn't put on purposefully to sort of be different. It's just we thought it was a good song and it was really nice. I mean, I, I know that that for me was my my moment to be Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's quite it's quite Kate Bushy. And um if you there's the segments that are similar, like perhaps in Do You Know, in that in the middle section similar echoes it even maybe fast forward Futurama the verse you've got that soft pretty melodic um verse and so so the the the, for me there's elements in it but yeah that's just a a beautiful piece in itself I think really so the album comes out and it does really well and then you're you're obviously making videos was the record company more about sexualizing the band at this point 
Well, they sort of sort of saying we've got four young pretty girls. We'll do them up, and you know, you know, not actually treating you as a proper musician rather than an object to sell money through sex, kind of thing. Um, I mean, I have to be honest. I don't. I don't feel that they ever. It didn't feel like they were trying to sell us for our sexuality. It did very much feel like they were trying to sell us for being four females, which we, we were and are. Um, but that they weren't interested really, I think, in the the whole sort of us being musicians. And I just thought that was a brilliant, like, sell. The fact that we actually could play and could sing and could write. Like, that to me was an, an amazing sell. But And that was frustrating for us because they, you know, we were, we were publicised a great deal. We were, you know, I mean, we were on the front cover of Smash It and Enemy on the same week. And that showed, I think, how, like, we had that credible side and we had that real pop side. And I think we were really fortunate and and happy about that and we love both sides of it it's a shame in some ways perhaps there wasn't there wasn't a a middle ground that was found but um I I didn't find feel that they were ever trying to that was I mean if I'm honest it was more me (laughs) how I wanted to dress and the thing is I mean, when I look back and I think, God, I must have been so innocent. I, I didn't dress to be sexy at all. Like uh, in little short skirts and bra. Well, they weren't even bra tops. They were bras. They were embellished with chains and things. <laughs> um, and my midriff out and my, and your little, you know, sort of gold shorts, hot pants. I honestly didn't think I was sexy. I didn't dress because I, I wanted to be sexy for anyone, not for me, not for anyone. I just liked them. I just thought, I like that. Oh, that look, that's nice. I mean, honestly, I'm not aware of my sexuality or, or at all. Oh, <laughs> it's bonkers. And then, of course, Joe was gay, so she had her own kind of thing going on. Um, and you know, we all—I think we we're all just very different individuals. But we did really want to tour with Big Bang. We only got to go to sort of the Far East doing tours for it and they kept sort of saying yeah yeah you know when let's just finish they've got so much promotion coming in right now let's just get that done and then you know maybe maybe and it was always postponed and that I think would have also made the difference if we could have gone out and killed it as a live band oh God, that would have been awesome what I love um, about Joe's look as well she always had her glasses on yeah she hated makeup hated you will find some without but she wasn't wasn't very happy yeah she you know I used to go and buy her loads of really nasty cheap glasses you know like heart shapes and star shapes (laughs) from Wheelie Hill Castle Market you know cheap as chips she didn't (laughs) want to slightly cooler ones later when she you know we could afford it it was it was such a boss move though I thought wearing glasses you know was such a boss move for her that what yeah. Pioneer. Brilliant. I was thinking about, um, I sat down before we were talking today and I wanted to test myself to see how many female musician bands I can think of. And I thought of uh, Fanny, The Runaways, Vixen, The Bangles and The Slits. And then I went blank. That's not a massive list. Do you think record companies would support more female bands now if they were to come playing instruments? It's honestly, Robbie, it's absolutely bonkers because apparently we are still the UK's most successful all-girl band what play instruments um so obviously not little mix or whatever um so we we are still the most successful band that's come from the uk um but we thought we were like we thought we must be on because we didn't form it on purpose we, we were just all friends but um we honestly thought we must be on a crest of a wave and that this is brilliant we're going to get loads of female musicians and female bands and we were so excited about it we had so many people writing to us saying you've inspired me to pick up a guitar or you've inspired me to start a a band you know and 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 we loved that and it never happened and we just can't believe it it's just 
I mean, there there are some knocking around that you know some bands. You sort of see them put together, don't you? Like Beyonce will get a load of fem- fantastic female musicians mm. on stage to perform with her, but you don't seem to have many female bands. And it's just, I mean, after all the fuzzpot stuff, I had two other female bands. I had Vix and the Kicks, and then I had uh, Vix and the Mischiefs, and, and that was all female. But it was hard to keep everything together. I must say, I, had, I think I had seven lineups for both bands. So yeah. People who go off and you know, I know. <laughs> go and start a new career or move abroad or have a baby or, and they're not all having babies um, <laughs> or yeah, go and do a degree somewhere. I was just like, I don't know. I don't think there's enough role models. I don't think there's enough support. I think that unfortunately the industry all these decades on is still extremely sexist, but I, I, I feel that if there were some good enough female bands that had good songs, you know, good commercial cool songs i think that it's all to play for surely yeah i mean i was thinking about um like maggie's bass playing i was thinking can i think of another female bass player that i know of by name and it, the answer was no it was just maggie tina weymouth oh tina weymouth yeah um, yeah i mean that yeah i can have that because there's 80s and 70s at the same time but yeah you sort of think like it's one of those things where like there should be more female bass players that I should be able to name. I shouldn't be able to read off like at least it's, it's 20. Ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. Um, yeah. And you can think of, oh, Sheila E. Drummer. You know, there's like Jennifer Batten guitarist, but it's like, uh, you know, kind of, it's, it's, it's a lot harder than, than it should be to think of really successful female musicians. I'm sure there's lots of, you know, wonderful session players out there as well that I'm not really aware of. But there's not bands forming like you, you and the girls, like getting together and then gigging and then working and then writing and recording. It seems to be, you're right, there's like a couple of session players here or there that you know of, or there's no, you know, there's, and it's a real I shame. There were some bands... Like Elastica and Sleeper, didn't they have kind of a couple of females in the band? Yeah. So in the 90s, the, the, and even that, I thought, oh, this is good, okay. Maybe something's happening. L7 would be the last one I really remember. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible to sort of say, but I think that sometimes girls, teenage girls perhaps particularly, haven't necessarily got that mindset to want to sit. I mean, we used to tour in the back of a blooming transit van. I know you wouldn't be allowed to now and the amp's falling on your head and you're coming back late at night and then you'd have to get up and go to school or college, you know. I mean, it was it was pretty hardcore and you'd be away from home and missing family or boyfriends and blah, 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 you know, not eating properly. I mean, it's, 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 it's really quite tough and it's quite rough out there. And I think that perhaps, you know, is that what girls, teenagers, young women want to do? There's no reason why not. But maybe men are, and boys are more sort of likely to do that. Yeah, it's just I just think it's a real shame that there's not a lot of that. Not not you know not that thing going on where girl bands are on the rise and you can see them go go see them gig and you know it's a real shame. Um, but we haven't got the development deals sort of that used to be around years and years ago either. Where you perhaps you, you you know a company would take them on and go all right let's help develop you and let's see or in there's not many indie labels like we were fortunate in a way that that was like a development deal I suppose in a way you know they Vindaloo Records nurtured us and helped bring us on you wouldn't have probably got signed up to a major you know with our first gig or our first lot of music it was all a bit rough and ready so I I just don't think there's as much of that because the record companies all want you to have already sort of pretty much made it before before they take you on and they just take over and take all thinking credit. Yeah. I mean, it's just that 
it's I find it a shame that you know a lot of I think to get a lot of credibility now what we were talking about back to the sexuality part earlier on that a lot of artists go that way now is it reveal more sell more and it's a real shame and I, I would just love a, a band like Wet Leg that are coming up at the moment that don't have that image but just write fantastic songs and I, I hope like more girl bands if you're listening to this and you're a lady musician or girl musician and you're thinking oh what's the point keep going because we need you <laughs> the music industry needs you <laughs> They yeah, really do. They really do. Time. And um, so we go back to you, the Big Bangs come out, and then you were working on your third album, and that's when the band sort of ended. Is that right? Was it around the third album? Yeah, we sort of write a few more songs and stuff. And I just think that that and it's, people always think it's like ironic that a band like Buzzbots could split up over musical differences. But I mean, in the main, I would say it was that that we just. You know, we had such different tastes. I definitely wanted to get more kind of guitar-y, perhaps maybe singer-songwriter-y, guitar-y kind of vibe going on. And then someone else would be really into indie music or someone else would be into sort of gay disco music or this. And we just really struggled to write and bring it all together cohesively. Um, plus, I think that at that point, um, I really enjoyed all of the like photo shoots and I loved doing the videos. Um I love being in the studio. I probably, I would say I'd love every element of, of it. Whereas I think the other three really didn't so much. Sometimes they did, but, you know, it was not their favourite thing to do. used to get really bored or frustrated in, you know, eight-hour photo shoots for like one or two pictures sort of thing. And, you know, we couldn't, it sounds funny now, but we couldn't go anywhere without being recognised. And so there was all that sort of pressure of that. It was very, very full on. And we, we hadn't had a proper break. We literally, from when we started, you know, we hadn't gone off on lots of lovely holidays. And I don't know, we just hadn't stopped. We were always doing something. And I think that we probably all just kind of hadn't had enough really in that way. Would a would a break have been better and then like coming back together after a while? Or was it just the decision that, you know, you run your course? I think that we probably didn't have the support around the music business as well to help us pull it together because there was still the whole thing about well you can't really mix styles so that was hard you know because it's like well isn't there somebody some amazing producer who can come along and go okay I love those Motown harmonies and you know that, those crunchy guitar riffs and hey, surely somebody could have done that but I don't know we just didn't didn't really have have that and uh yeah I think from being 15 to being, what, about 21, you're all off on different paths by then. So if people want to find out what um, Fuzzbox is up to today, where's the best place to go for that? You can look on, there's, I madly keep it all up to date, there's the Fuzzbox Facebook page. And so actually we've got a really great lad who runs the Fuzzbox fan page on Instagram. He posts all the time. I don't know how he finds everything. He knows far <laughs> more about Fuzzbox than I ever could. He's absolutely wonderful. He's called Dan the Man. He's a lovely lad. Um, and he, he runs that. So that's a, a, a good place. But um, there is something exciting happening. Maggie and I are writing a book together. Fantastic. Yeah. Because we've been doing, we actually have been together again. We've had a couple of reunions, but um, Maggie and I have been out doing stuff for age. And we also did form a real fantastic sort of five piece electric band and go out and tour with Fuzzbots, which was, it was so nice to go and do that because we'd wanted to do it for so long. <laughs> um, but at the moment we sort of taking a bit of a hiatus from from gigging and doing like all the retro gigs and so on um i've got my own new music project on the go which is um, i mean I, I don't know if you know i do like my my little brands there we go happy life <laughs> i do a lot of sort of well-being stuff i'm a reiki master and i do a lot of um mindfulness and guided meditations and sound healer and blah 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 and i'm um 
I'm really into all the different hurts and how that so a lot of it's kind of kind of chanting and loops and stuff, but also some proper songs. I'm putting a project together with that at the moment. Uh, Mag has got a, a band called Black Clown, which she's working on. But we just thought, you know, it's like we wanted to take a bit of a break, but you know, we we started this book actually. Yeah, okay, so we've got lots of cuttings from, you know, um from all the different gig reviews and so on, lots of photos and and lovely graphic design. So it'll be a real yummy book. It's going to be like the, the story of the UK's most successful all-girl band who play instruments. <laughs> a bit long, isn't it? We better do it quickly in case somebody does come along and supersede us. That's fantastic. I mean, that book's going to be brilliant. So is it going to be like a scrapbook oh. article type book? Yeah, and, and lots of... Um, it's actually ended up really conversational. It's really nice. So we were sort of writing separate chap- chapters, but then we started interjecting. So it's kind of really like a conversation between me and Maggie talking about what was happening and you know how it all happened really throughout the time. So I'll, I'll, I'll be ace. I, I, well, I can't wait to get my hands on that. That'd be a fantastic oh, book. Thanks for talking to us today, Vic. It's been absolutely wonderful. really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. On the next one, we're going to look at nerdhorror.com, a website that sells posters, statues and figurines from the 80s. The best decade there ever was. I'll see you on the next one. Ta-da. The show is produced, edited and presented by Robbie. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.